Hello, hello, and welcome back to Cutting Chai Stories, where the writing is short and not always sweet, just like the half servings of milky tea we call Cutting Chai back home in India. Today we are in for a special treat because today we have on the show Ken Nesbitt. He's an American children's poet and humorist, author of more than 20 books for kids. In 2013, he was named Children's Poet Laureate by the Poetry Foundation and his website, poetryforkids.com, is the most visited children's poetry site on the internet. What this bio doesn't mention is just how gracious and generous he is. I have visited his website so many times before, especially when I was teaching poetry to my kids in the creative writing classes. And it's so useful and helpful in teaching kids and adults about writing poems. He shares his knowledge in such a step-by-step, easy-to-follow way that even if you're just starting out, you're sure to come away with tons of ideas and inspiration for writing your own poems. Also, if you listen to episode 16, you are already familiar with Ken's writing because I shared his poem that explains it when I talked about list poems. So without further ado, thank you so much, Ken, for being here and welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I asked the children I teach what they most wanted me to ask you and universally they all wanted to know, how do you come up with such funny ideas? What inspires you? Oh, I just, I buy them at Walmart. <laughs> much easier that way. Uh, no, of course that's not true. Uh, where, where do I come up with ideas? Well, here's the thing. I find myself surrounded by ideas all the time, constantly. Everywhere I go, everything I do, everything that happens to me, everything I see around me, these are all fodder for ideas. And so what, what will happen is I might be out for a walk and I, I see a bird and the bird is doing something interesting. And I think, oh, maybe I should write a poem about a bird doing something interesting. And now, my brain might go into very strange places. I might say, well, what if this bird was actually writing a blog on the internet for other birds? Or what if this bird were taking a class in Italian cooking? Or, who, you know, who knows? Could be anything. The first thing I do is I whip out my phone. I have a folder of notes just for ideas for poems. And this folder currently has over 150 ideas. So. Wow. When it comes that I sit down to write, I don't have to stare at a blank page and think, what am I going to write about? I open up this folder and I, I scroll through the list of things that I have written down previously until I find one where I say, oh, yeah, I, I know how to finish that. I, can, I want to work on that one right now. And even if I don't finish the poem, then I'll add to it and I might come back to it a month later and work on it some more. So that's my idea process. I love the idea of creating a folder of ideas so that you're never without one. Um, you know, the thing that you did where you asked yourself, what might that bird be doing? Maybe that bird is writing a blog on the internet for other birds. If there's somebody who's just trying their hand at writing poetry now, how do you get what is your um, advice for them? How did they get into that headspace to ask themselves those poems? Uh, ask themselves those questions, sorry. Sure, sure. I feel like I've done this all my life. I, I first remember doing this as a teenager. I just, my brain wants to take disparate ideas and shove them together. So, you know, if I start thinking about pirates, I, I don't really think about pirates sailing the seas and, and 
swashbuckling and burying treasure, I think about something that has absolutely nothing to do with pirates, right? And, and all of a sudden, I have pirates wearing little pink tutus and dancing in the ballet. <laughs> uh, it just, you know, I, I want to take these ideas that are completely unrelated and shove them together in new and original ways. And oftentimes, it's just as simple as asking myself, well, you know, what, what's funny about that? If I decide to write a poem about my dog, I just think, well, what would be funny? <laughs> it would be funny if my dog took karate lessons. I, I, you know, it's just, that's the way my brain works. That is so awesome. And that would be such a great and a fun exercise to do. I mean, I can imagine sort of crowdsourcing a bunch of characters, whether animals or human, and a bunch of activities or situations, and then putting them all in a hat and then just picking out, you know, a character in a situation and putting them together, just like you said, pirates and ballet costumes. That would be a great idea generator. Yeah, it does sound a bit like improv comedy, doesn't it? I, 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 yeah, I believe they actually does. do this in improv comedy. I just, <laughs> I just do it on my own. Well, there you have it. Here's an idea for writing funny poems and for improv comedy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... You know, your poems are so funny. I can't read one without smiling and I challenge anybody else to do, you know, to read one in a serious way. What is it about funny poems specifically that attracts you? I mean, do you ever write sad poems for kids? I don't. No, no. And for for a lot of reasons, you know, I, I feel not only is there already enough sad stuff in the world that I don't need to add to it, but there are many, many, many children's authors and poets who write about difficulties in life, whether it's, uh, you know, racial strife or whether it is mental difficulties or handicaps or poverty. All of these things are being covered by other children's authors. My goal is not to be didactic. I am not trying to educate children about the nature of the world. My goal is to encourage children to write. I'm sorry, to read, primarily to read, but also to write. And what I find is that if I can write a page or two that makes a child smile and at the end makes them laugh, that makes them want to turn the page and to read another one. So in a way, these are little poetic cookies. You know, you have yeah. potato chips. You, you can't eat just one. So you smile, you laugh, you turn the page, you do it again. And before you know it, you've read the entire book and you want to read that book again. That's my goal. My goal is simply to get kids, especially kids who don't like to read or think they don't like to read, to suddenly find out that they love to read. That is such a noble mission. Uh, honestly, you, you say that you don't, you're not educating kids about the world and you're not you know, writing about racial strife or mental difficulties, but Honestly, inspiring a child to read will open the gateway to all those other things. And if they don't have that desire to turn the page and to read some more, they're never going to get to that other stuff. So That's right. By, by turning children into readers, first, first you turn them into readers, then you turn them into writers. And by doing so, you turn them into lifelong self-educators and you are, you know, you're, you're, teaching, you're teaching human beings uh, that it's a good thing to be educated, to be well-read, to have perspective on the world. And those are the things that you get from reading. Absolutely. You're like the gateway drug. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
um so how are you able to connect with kids so well i mean you're not you know you're not just going for like the cheap laughs you are able to <laughs> get a giggle out of them but like not in a in a contrived sort of gimmicky way how oh, how are you able to you, do that you overestimate me i do i do write the occasional you know underwear joke or <laughs> poop joke i don't do it very much and when i do it really is simply intended as bait to mm. you know if i write a poem called i stuck my finger up my nose the purpose of that poem is to to draw them in so then they're going to read more poems and more poems and more poems and the other poems that they're going to read are going to be ones that expand not only their vocabulary but their uh their perspective of what is possible and impossible in the world i love to twist their brains with impossible ideas and and hyperbole and and lots of wordplay and you know show them that that this reading and writing thing can be really really fun mm. and and don't don't underestimate you know the fun that we can have from sticking a finger up <laughs> up <laughs> your nose i mean <laughs> that's fun for us adults too i want to ask you about two opposing ideas or seemingly opposite ideas uh somewhere on your website i forget where but you write that poets needn't wait for the best idea but just start writing with their first idea but um last week when we were emailing back and forth you wrote that you are used to niggling over every syllable and sound and you compared yourself to painters who are obsessively fastidious about every brush stroke so which is it should we just go with the flow of inspiration or should we haggle over every letter and word are these opposite ideas in fact can we do both oh you can do both well, i think when i was saying just go with the first idea i was referring primarily to the idea for the poem and and there's nothing wrong with just writing as fast as you can and not stopping yourself and just whatever idea comes into your head put it down on the page that is okay for a first draft but you don't then take that first draft and go okay now i'm done and then send it to a publisher or or hand it into your teacher that is a first draft now comes the point where you need to start tearing it apart and asking yourself you know how can i improve this phrasing how can i improve this line how can i make this make more sense how can i make it sound better those two things are not mutually exclusive hmm and how do you do that without it seeming forced well that's the that's the trick is you you work really really hard to make it look really really easy right so uh i think one thing that people say about my poems is that they just they just flow trippingly off the tongue right mm-hmm. they seem, they seem so effortless but the truth is a lot of work goes into making that effortlessness for the reader uh and i guess your question was how does one do that mhm the answer to me is uh first at, practice a lot and learn your craft and always be this doesn't just apply to poetry but any kind of writing that you're doing i think it's really important to understand the tools that you have at your disposal you know whether you're working with 
metaphors, whether you're working, uh, you know, whether you're just, just writing, it's helpful to have a bigger vocabulary so that you can mm -hmm. choose the most appropriate words. In my case, I, I work with all sorts of different poetic devices and rhythms and and I understand what the tools are that I have at hand that I can use to make things work. And then every single line of a poem, I will rewrite 10 times at least in my head to get it exactly right, where I can't improve a single syllable anywhere. As an editor myself, that makes my heart sing with joy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so do you have a favorite poem or a current favorite poem that you could share with us? Well, having written more than 1,500 poems and published more than 1,000, it's really uh, impossible to pick, you know, one poem <laughs> and say, oh, that is my favorite poem. What I tell kids is usually my favorite poem is the one that I'm right in the middle of working on. Because to me, the best part of poetry is is the time that I spend writing it, right? It's like a crossword puzzle has no value except the time that you spend working on it. And that's when it's right. fun. Right. And, and to me, poetry is sort of the same way. But I will tell you this. I, uh, on my website, poetryforkids.com, I allow children to rate the poems. So, you know, I could easily tell you the most, the current most popular poems on my website and of those, of the first oh, 10 or so most popular poems, one that I particularly like is a poem called My Flat Cat. And uh, this is written at a, uh, a very young level. I've spent a lot of time learning how to write at grade level. So I can say this poem is suitable for first graders or second graders or third graders or fourth graders. Mm -hmm. And this poem is a, about at a second grade, possibly third grade level. And again, it's called My Flat Cat. And it reads like this. I have a cat. My cat is flat. He sleeps beneath the bathroom mat. He slides around upon the ground without the slightest striding sound. He only eats the flattest meats and thin and wispy kitty treats. He once was fat, but now my cat is totally, completely flat. He got so slim, so flat and trim, the day my Great Dane sat on him. <laughs> I could actually hear you smiling when you were reading that out. I don't know if you were or not, because I can't see you in this interview, but I felt like I could hear it in your voice. I'm always smiling when I read my poems. Quite enjoyable. <laughs> They and so and to listen to as well. So tell tell me what you love about this poem, apart from the time that you spent creating it. But like, what were you thinking of when you were crafting this poem? Well, for me, uh, and this is not something I ever expect readers to notice. For me, I like poems that appear very very simple, but have a, were a, were a big challenge to write. Okay, so one thing that makes this poem appear simple, but actually is more challenging to write, is the the short lengths of the lines. Right, uh, I have a cat. That's that's the full first line. That is uh, four syllables. It is in in technical speak, it's two iams, iambic dimeter, and 
the each stanza is four lines long with an a a b a rhyme scheme so the rhyme scheme is a little more complex than what i would normally write i also use a number of other poetic techniques in here such as assonance which is the repetition of vowel sounds so i have a cat i'm i'm intentionally repeating the short a sound on the uh, on the stressed syllables in the line Right. So that's the ah, ah, right? Ah, ah. Or he sleeps beneath. Again, four syllables, but the stressed syllables are sleeps and eth. And on those, I am doing a long e sound. And so to me, what I really enjoy is I, I like spending a lot of time working on very challenging, tight, tight little poetry packages that come out sounding as though uh, I must have just whipped that off in 20 seconds. Hmm. So it's almost like a game that you're playing. Oh, absolutely. It's like a multidimensional puzzle where the pieces are the story, the punchline, the rhythm, the uh, the rhymes, the other, you know, the alliterations and assonance. And all of this is done in the service of making a simple, easy to read poem that is going to make a child smile and enjoy reading and want to keep doing it. And that also totally trips off the tongue. It's so easy to read in that rhythm. Yep. Yep. It depends. I mean, I, I try. Well, so speaking of games, so I had this idea and Ken has graciously agreed. I thought that we could play a game making up a DIY poem on the spot where we each contribute a line or two spontaneously. We haven't discussed it. We haven't planned it in the sense of we don't have anything written in advance. So I have no idea whether this is going to go great or it's just going to be silly. But either way, I hope we have fun with it. One of us is going to start and then we're going to go from there. Um, right. Ken, would you like to start us off? Oh, my goodness. Well, I didn't, uh, I didn't prepare for that eventuality, but I'm sure that... I... Something from your folder of ideas, maybe. Uh, sure. That's, well, that's exactly where I was going. I, I want to I keep this simple. So I ha the first idea that came up in my folder here is a, is a poem about going to the dentist. And uh, this one doesn't involve much wordplay or any, any difficult challenges. So I'm, I'm just going to read you the first line and see where you can mm. take it from there. All right. Uh, or actually, I'll say the first couplet. Okay. The dentist, the dentist told me, open wide. And then he took a look inside. Inside my mouth, he thought he saw uh, a plywood plank and a buzzsaw. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, so, <laughs> so that's where we're going. Uh, in, inside your mouth are uh, very unusual things that a dentist would not expect to find in the mouth, correct? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, a plywood plank and a buzzsaw. Um, uh, <clears throat> he also found a red balloon, a... He also found a red balloon and a boy with a flute whistling a tune. Ooh, nice. Uh, a red squawking bird. Uh, a red, no, a squawking bird in a tree house. Um, a gray old rat and a little pink mouse. <laughs> okay. Uh, a spaceship with a man from Mars. And all his friends from beyond the stars. Ooh, so nice. Then there was a... Mm, he saw a mango, an apple, a pear, a hedgehog too, 
with spikes for hair. <laughs> All right, let's see. He also saw a mountain range, and here's what else was really strange. Oh man, what a setup! I really feel like I have to deliver with this one, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Putting me on the spot here. Okay, here's what else was really strange. My mouth opened wide. The dentist toppled inside. Is that my turn? It's your turn. Okay. <laughs> I'm punting okay. it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, I thought that was one line with an internal rhyme there. Um, and then he gave a scream and a shout and barely managed to make it back out. <laughs> That's awesome. That was so much fun. <laughs> what did you think? Oh, I think it still needs an ending. Um, it still here. needs an ending? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. Um, okay. I, I think I've got the ending. Yeah. Okay, go for it. Um, he looked at me and said, with fear, you need to brush more than once a year. And oh my God, it's going to terrify the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad for a first draft. Not bad for just making it up on the spot without writing anything down. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's awesome. Okay, you know what? I feel like this episode is going to be chock full of writing Brahms. So we already had the first one where, you know, people can write down characters and, and activities or scenarios and mix them up and sort of get an idea from that. Here's another one. If you put this, take this as your first draft to edit and revise it. Remember, Ken said 10 times per line. So that's what we're expecting. And what's, you know, what, what are you going to get at the end? Yeah, and share it with us. That would be so fun. That made me feel so alive. And it was also just so, so fun. I feel like I learned so much just listening to, Ken, what came out of your head on the spur of the moment, especially with that ending. That was really genius. When we're, when we're thinking of that, can you tell me a little bit about your ending? Because I feel like not just this, in one thing that I've noticed about your poems, even with the flat cat poem you read, you always try and have a twist at the end. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, there's a, there's a reason for that. You see, to me, a poem really is little more than a delivery vehicle for a joke. And in general, jokes have punchlines, right? So I need... I feel like I need that little zinger. And here's another reason. Here's another reason. If you're, if you're seven years old or you're eight years old and you're reading a book, if you're reading a book where you have to read a hundred pages to, to really get a payoff from it, that can be a challenge, you know, and, uh, you know, and if you're at that age where you still need uh, illustrations, pictures in the book, to help carry you along and to help, visual, help visualize what the words are saying. The illustrations are a tool to help keep kids reading. But in the case of poems, or at least my poems, I want there to be at least one solid laugh in the poem at the end. If I can get two or three in there along the way, so much the better. Because the object for me is you get to the end of the poem, you laugh, you turn the page, you do it again, and what you don't notice is that if this were something where the payoff were farther down the road, say days away, you might stop reading when you encountered any mm. speed bumps, right? Um, unfamiliar vocabulary, for example. Uh, you, you come across a word and you, you don't know what it means. Well, any kid that's read a half a dozen of my poems 
quickly learns that there is a payoff coming at the end of the page. And so even if they come across a word that they don't immediately know, it's okay. It's not a showstopper. It's just a little speed bump in the road, and, and, and then they get to the payoff. And in the meantime, they've been exposed to that new vocabulary that they're going to encounter again and again. You know, I remember this happening with songs when I was a kid. There would be a word, and I like, I didn't know <laughs> what, I didn't learn what that word meant until 20 years later. But it was that initial exposure that I never forgot because it yeah. was in the form of a, of a fun song. And try to do the same thing with poetry for children. Oh, absolutely. And, and speaking of, you know, child, your childhood, what, what, who were the poets that you read when you were a kid? Um, did you mm. read poetry as a child? Well, my parents read poetry to me when I was very young. Uh, when I was a baby, uh, when I was one, one, two years old, they would uh, read Mother Goose or just recite Mother Goose re- mm-hmm. over and over again. When I was three, four, five years old, we started reading Dr. Seuss. And then there wasn't really a lot of poetry in my life after that until around fourth grade, maybe nine years old. My father enjoyed poetry. So he had memorized a lot of uh, narrative poems, uh, things like Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven or, oh gosh, Robert Service's poems, The the Cremation of Sam McGee, The Shooting of Dan McGrew, um, and, and Rudyard Kipling. And he could just start reciting a poem and, you know, we would all just, me and my brothers, we would be enraptured while we listened to these stories. And then when I got to about seventh grade, I started actively seeking out poetry in the library. And what I found that I enjoyed the most was the nonsense poems of Lewis Carroll. Mm. So I would read Alice in Wonderland and um, Through the Looking Glass. And I would literally, I would just skip right to the poems. And and Mm. I also around 10 years old, around that time, I was reading a lot of Mad Magazine, which had uh, song parodies. So they would take a well-known um, public domain song, you know, the Battle Hymn of the Republic or something like that. And then they would write new words to it on a topical theme. And I would memorize those. I didn't know at any of this time that you could make up your own poems. And so I didn't start writing poetry until I was in my 30s, but I think I was well primed for it. Wow. So what what got you into writing poetry as a profession? Ah, well, I was having dinner with a, with a friend of mine at a restaurant one night, him and his wife and their daughter. Their daughter was about four years old. And this particular restaurant had a kid's food bar. So on the kid's food bar, they had pizza and French fries and macaroni and cheese and uh, that sort of thing. This little four-year-old had a plate of what you would think, you know, would be the perfect kid's food, like chicken nuggets, French fries, pizza, uh, ketchup, macaroni and cheese. And all she would do was like take her fork and rearrange the food on her plate and then, and then go, look how much I ate. Can I have dessert? (laughs) And I just thought that was so funny. And well, now later that evening, I was cleaning my apartment and just to make the cleaning a little less dull, I put on a CD of humorous songs, uh, Dr. Demento songs. So Weird Al Yankovic and Spike Jones and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it happened that on there was one poem 
It was a recording of Shel Silverstein reciting his poem, Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout Would Not Take the Garbage Out, uh, from his book, Where the Sidewalk Ends. Mm -hmm. And I, I heard that. And I not only thought, wow, that is an amazing poem, but I was thinking, I wonder if I could... So that, that's a poem about a little girl who won't do something she's supposed to do. She will not take the garbage out. And I, my mind went to, here's a little girl who won't eat her dinner and tries everything under the sun to get out of eating her dinner. And you know maybe we could have another cautionary tale where terrible things befall her as in Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout. So I just turned off the CD, sat down, started writing. And that was the first poem. And I enjoyed it so much that it became a hobby. Never stopped doing it. And my hobby eventually turned into my full-time career. Wow. I love that, you know, what started you off on this path was this four-year-old kid pushing the food around on her plate. And I feel, I feel that there's something about being in the presence of children that just activates the silly gene in adults. Sure. You know, and all the things that we don't give ourselves permission to do when we're interacting with other grown-ups, mm -hmm. we can do without fear of judgment or needing to appear serious and important. You know, I, I, I feel it all the time. And that's, that's one of the things that gives me joy about um, teaching children is that they love to laugh and they love to find humor and silliness and, you know, and, and they share that joy around. So I love that story. Right. And that is why I love writing for children, because in stories and poems for children, as long as it's done in, a, in the right context, you can do things that are, are simply impossible or self-contradictory or, you know, wild and outrageous uh, that... If you were writing for an adult, the adults would say, well, no, hang on, you can't do that. <laughs> no, and I love that, that you have, you're like, this is who I'm writing for, and I know it. To my mind, the point at which a writer goes from being an amateur writer to a professional writer is that moment in which they stop writing entirely for themselves and start writing for their audience. That is, they think, not just how do I read this? But how is my reader going to read this? You know, Ken, I always end my episodes with a writing prompt for my listeners. Do you have one for them that you could share? Oh, sure, sure. You shared my list poem uh, that explains it on a recent episode mm -hmm. of your podcast. And well, we, we just wrote a list poem together on this episode. So let's just stay with another list episode. So this is what you referred to as a, a sandwich list, where I will give you the beginning and the end, and your job is to write the middle. Okay? Could you just summarize what a list poem is? A list poem? Well, there are different types of list poems, as you know, and perhaps they, mm -hmm. we should direct them back to your list poem episode. Sure. Episode 16. Yep. But in a, in a nutshell, a list poem has a setup, then it has a list of things, uh, and then potentially has a, a nice conclusion that wraps it all up. So some good examples are uh, Shel Silverstein's poem, Sick. Uh, I cannot go to school today, said little Peggy Ann McKay. And then she just rattles off this list of all the illnesses that she has. 
And then it comes to a nice conclusion with, wait, what's that you say? You say today's Saturday? <laughs> Goodbye, I'm going out to play. <laughs> uh, another great example is Jack Perletsky's poem, Bleezer's Ice Cream, uh, which is a, a list of all of the just horrible, horrible ice cream flavors that uh, that are sold at Bleezer's Ice Cream Store. So, so here's one. Uh, this uh, is a little shopping list poem. And the beginning would be, my mother said, go buy some bread, but this is what I got instead. And then your job is to write the middle of the poem. And the middle of the poem is a list of all the things that you came home with instead of bread. Now, it could simply be things that you wished you could buy at the store, like say candy and toys, or maybe even pets, or maybe it could be outrageous things like uh, rocket ships and limousines and, you know, uh, <laughs> a, a, a mansion in the countryside, uh, whatever, anything. And then end this with, when mother needs things from the store, she never sends me anymore. <laughs> that is a very tantalizing setup. <laughs> I do want to, I do want to mention that the kinds of poetry that I'm speaking about here really are intended for young readers. Most adults when they read poetry are not reading rhyme and meter the way that kids do. Well, do you ever write not necessarily to publish but even just for yourself? Do you ever write the kind of poetry that expresses your feelings and you know the kind of poetry that you just said you don't publish? Only only the occasional silly love poem for my wife. <laughs> uh, but even those, even those tend to rhyme. Rhyming has this, rhyming and rhythm, I should say, have this ability to mm -hmm. make writing feel lighter and happier and maybe even sillier and, you know, just, just generally more pleasant, you know. But if you, if you start saying, I loved her more than anybody else that I can remember... Uh, she died in a car crash last December. It, it's jarring. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, it, yeah. Of course. So I, I recommend <laughs> I recommend giving some giving some thought as to the tone of the poem that you're trying to write, and then deciding whether your poetry should rhyme, whether it should have a uh, a distinct repeatable rhythm, and so forth. Wise words of advice. Uh Thank you so much, Ken. I have loved having you on the show. You've been so incredibly generous with your time and your knowledge. I appreciate it so, so much. Well, thank you, Jayati. I really appreciate your uh, inviting me on the show and uh, glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it. If you do end up writing a poem from any one of those three writing prompts, you know what to do. Share it with me on Instagram with the hashtag Cutting Chai Stories. Or email it to me at cuttingchaistories at gmail.com. I love to hear from my listeners. That's it for today. And till I see you next Thursday, read some poetry. Hey!